Greetings, this is Bible Time with Jane, and I am Jane, your host. We are continuing our series in the book of Acts, and today we will take a look at Acts chapter 9, verses 32 through 43. In our last session, we learned how Saul was converted by a direct revelation of Jesus Christ. He immediately began to preach and teach that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the promised Messiah. And of course, that message was met with great opposition. And so for a time, he left the company of believers and traveled back to Tarsus, his hometown. There he spent time relearning the scriptures as they relate to the promises of Jesus. Throughout his time away, he continued preaching and teaching whenever he could. But in the meantime, our attention is once again drawn to the Apostle Peter and his ongoing ministry. The gospel of Jesus Christ is clearly spreading into the regions surrounding Jerusalem and Israel. With the threat of Saul removed, the church has once again entered a time of peace and growth. Peter seized this opportunity and began to travel outside of Israel, ministering as he went. In the next two chapters of the book of Acts, we will read of three miraculous stories. I say miraculous because while the first two stories are obvious miracles of healing, the third is another kind of miraculous healing, that is, of a soul that is saved through faith in Jesus Christ. In today's lesson, we will discuss the first two miracles. The first one is about a man named Aeneas. Let us read that passage now. It's in Acts chapter 9, beginning with verse 32. Now it came to pass, as Peter went through all the regions of the country, that he also came down to the saints who dwelt in Lydda. There he found a certain man named Aeneas, who had been bedridden eight years and was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you. Arise and make your bed. Then he arose immediately. So all who dwelt at Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Peter had traveled 25 miles northwest of Jerusalem to Lydda, This was primarily a Gentile city. However, uh, because of the extreme persecution of Christians following Stephen's death, many Jewish believers in Jesus as the Christ had settled in Lydda. This is the group that Peter visited. We read in verse 32 that he also came down to the saints who dwelt in Lydda. Saints, meaning all those for whom Christ is their Lord and Savior. Many biblical scholars believe that this was also an area that the deacon evangelist Philip had passed through on his way to Caesarea. This we can glean from reading in Acts chapter 8, verse 40, which says, But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all of the cities till he came to Caesarea. Lydda would have been directly on his route north. 
This verse clearly indicates that Philip preached in all of the cities, and many in the city of Lydda clearly had responded to that message. There was a man in that congregation who had been paralyzed for eight years. I think we can only imagine what that was like, the helplessness and hopelessness of his situation. But then one day, Peter came. I think Peter must have remembered a day a few years earlier when Jesus was also confronted by a paralyzed man. And yes, I mean confronted. On that day, Jesus had been teaching in a home in Capernaum. The house was so full of people that people were actually standing outside listening through the doors and windows so that they could hear everything that he was teaching. But there was a group of men who had a dear friend who was also paralyzed, forever bedridden. But they had faith in Jesus' power to heal. And so they did the unthinkable. They climbed the outside staircase of the house to the roof and began to tear it apart. They made a hole in the ceiling big enough to lower their friend through who was still lying on his bed through the roof, right in front of Jesus and all those who were there. Mark 2.5 says that when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And you can just imagine what the thoughts and murmurings were of the Pharisees and teachers of the law who were there also, that... (laughs) That this man would declare that someone's sins were forgiven? Well, in their mind, he did not have the authority to make that declaration at all. So let's pick up that story with Mark chapter 2, beginning with verse 6. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, Why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Arise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Arise. Take up your bed and go to your house. Immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of them all, so that they all were amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Peter also believed in the power of the name of Jesus. He'd already been involved in healing ministries that became confirmations of the testimony of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. For example, we read in Acts 3 about the man who was lame, sitting outside of the temple, begging. When Peter and John approached, then Peter said, Silver and gold I I do not have, but What I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And Peter took him by the right hand and lifted him up, 
and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And so he, leaping, stood up and walked and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Once again, this healing took place in the name of Jesus. So on this day in Lydda, Peter found Aeneas and he spoke to him just two short sentences. He said, Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you. Arise and make your bed. You will notice he said, Jesus heals you. In other words, it is done. Jesus heals you this very moment. It has been accomplished. There's no more need for you to be lying there. Get up and make your bed. So the man got up and made his bed. After eight long years of being an invalid, he was immediately healed. And his life would never be the same again. Nor was that community. As word quickly spread throughout Lydda and the neighboring city of Sharon about this wonderful, miraculous healing, they came to see for themselves and to hear all that Peter had to share with them. The Bible tells us that because of this miraculous event, many people believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. I especially appreciate an observation one man of God makes regarding this event. He writes, If you have not trusted Christ, you are just like this paralyzed man. You have no ability to save yourself. You can't take one step toward God. If this man is ever to be healed, someone must come to him. And that is just what Christ Jesus does. We read in Romans 5, 5 that when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. He comes where we are and speaks the word that gives life to poor, helpless sinners. Well, if we were to continue reading in Romans 5, we will discover the following. For scarcely for a righteous man one will die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. I think that you will agree with me that as wonderful as the physical healing of this man was, salvation is the greater gift, as it is an, an eternal gift. As the Bible says, through Jesus Christ and his blood that was shed on the cross, we are now reconciled back to God. 
That is why it says in Romans 5.1, we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, you might be tempted to ask, if Philip had previously been in the city of Lydda and the man had been paralyzed for eight years, why didn't Philip heal him then? After all, Philip's ministry also exhibited many works of healing and deliverance. But in answer to that question, I would submit to you that it was for the very reason of the next miracle that we now read. So turning again to Acts chapter 9, beginning now with verse 36. At Joppa there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. When they had washed her, they had laid her in an upper room. And since Lydda was near Joppa and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. When he had come, they brought him to the upper room. And all the widows stood by him, weeping, showing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all out and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. And so it was that he stayed many days in Joppa with Simon, a tanner. Joppa is the modern city of Jaffa and is located 10 miles northwest of Lydda on the coast. Now this is, this is the town uh, that the cedars of Lebanon had been floated down from to be shipped to Jerusalem, which David used to build his palace and later the temple. This was also the city that the prophet Jonah set sail from when he was running away from what God was commanding him to do. And now, as we will discuss in our next lesson, this will also be the city where Peter will receive his call to take the gospel message to the Gentiles. However, in our passage today, we read that there was a woman in the city by the name of Tabitha or Dorcas. And she was a very special woman who had ministered greatly to the people in the church in Joppa, but she had especially been very generous and helpful to the widows in the church. You know, in those days, to be a widow was very terrible. Unless someone would help them with food, clothing, and shelter, they would be utterly destitute and cast out of society. Tabitha ministered to these women and it actually made them many garments of clothing. You know, some people have preaching ministries, some have teaching ministries, and some have other ministries within the church body that you could easily name. And because we can name them, we sometimes forget that anything that we do in the name of the Lord is a gift and ministry done in His name. 
Tabitha had a sewing needle ministry. She made clothing and generously and willingly gave them to the poorest women in the church. This was an incredible ministry done in the name of the Lord. What do you have to offer to the Lord? Perhaps it is in your cooking skills or sewing or a skill with car repair or maybe with a hammer and saw. Perhaps your gifting is in the fields or in your little garden. Maybe you are gifted with flowers and plants or with writing a letter, sending a greeting card or making a phone call to someone who is lonely. It says in Ecclesiastes 9.10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Do you remember what God said to Moses at the burning bush? He asked him, what's in your hand, Moses? Well, it was a rod. And when Moses took that rod, which basically was a big stick, in faith believing, God did great and mighty works through it. And God was glorified and people believed and put their trust in him. So Tabitha had submitted her sewing needle to the Lord and the Lord had blessed that ministry. But one day Tabitha became very sick and died. Word had come to the people in the church that Peter was close by, so when Tabitha became deathly sick, they sent for Peter. When he arrived, she'd already died and they had prepared her body for burial. In those days, people who died were buried on the same day as their death. When Peter entered her house, all of the widows who approached him weeping over their loss. Each one was telling him of all the many ways that Tabitha had ministered to them, wearing the clothing that she had made. They were devastated because that help that they had so depended on would no longer be available to them. What would they do now? How would they survive? I think that this may have been one of the reasons why the paralyzed man was not healed healed until Peter's visit. Because Peter needed to be near enough to respond to this second need, the death of Tabitha. So Peter had everyone leave the room and he got on his knees and prayed. Then he spoke to this dead woman, Tabitha, arise. And her life returned back to her, and she opened her eyes. Peter reached out his hand, and she got up. Once again, I think Peter was remembering another day early in Jesus' ministry when Jesus raised back to life a 12-year-old girl who had died. On that day, a desperate father approached Jesus, begging him to come to his house because his precious daughter was dying. He wanted Jesus to heal her, and this Jesus was willing to do. But on the way, a woman who had her own physical problem had reached out to touch the hem of his garment, believing that 
If she did, his power would heal her. And she was right. She was healed. Jesus stopped to talk to her about it, and while they were talking, a servant came and told the man that his daughter had died. You'll pick up the story here, reading from Mark chapter 5, beginning with verse 36. As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid, only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. When he came in, he said to them, Why why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha kumi, which translated means, little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age and they were overcome with great amazement. What Peter did for Dorcas followed the same pattern that Jesus had just exercised. He emptied the room. He spoke to the dead. He reached out his hand and lifted her up, restored her back to life, and he presented her to those who loved her. Can you just imagine their amazement, their joy, and the great relief of all those who witnessed this miracle on that day? Oh, tremendous, wonderful. And as a result of this miracle, once again, word got out about what had happened in the power and the name of Jesus. And as a result, many more people believed in Jesus. Once again, let me say to you that yes, raising someone from the dead was a tremendous, fantastic, and wonderful miracle, but the greater miracle was the salvation of all those who put their trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. That is a healing of the soul. And in Jesus, there is a greater promise. Jesus himself said said it best. He he said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That is God's heart's desire. Later, the Apostle Paul would write in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And again, in the book of Titus, we read in chapter 3, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, But according to his mercy, he saved us 
through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Listen to that promise. Glorious hope. In both of these stories, what had started out so sad resulted in a display of God's power and glory, resulting in the saving of many souls for the kingdom of God and for his glory. Perhaps you are in the midst of a difficult or painful time in your life. Do not despair. God sees. God knows. And he cares deeply. I want to continue to remind us of what the Bible says in Romans 8, beginning with verse 24. It says this, For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope, for why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Our Lord Jesus Christ is working in and through your life. Hold on to him. Hold on to his promises. Do not give up. There will be a day when you will see the light of his glory and you will see his victory in the midst of it all. You know, on the darkest day in all of world history, Jesus was scourged, beaten, nailed to a cross, and he died. The Bible tells us that the world was literally covered in darkness for six hours. Then they buried Jesus. All those who loved Jesus had followed Jesus and had trusted his teaching while they lost all hope. While he was in the grave, they were weeping. Was God deaf to their ears, tears? No, not at all. God was working, and on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead forever alive. The Bible says that he was buried for our sins and raised to life for our justification. Was his death wasted? No, absolutely not. It was a mighty work to purchase our salvation and give us a hope and a future. 
Trust him in the darkness and you will see the light of his glory shining through. Look to him. He is your life. He is your hope. He is your salvation. Well, our passage today ends with this final verse, verse 43. It says, So it was that Peter stayed many days in Joppa with Simon, a tanner. And one thing we need to understand is a tanner is somebody who who works with the skin of an animal that has died. And in Jewish law, that makes the person working with the skin of a dead animal unclean. For Peter to be staying with Simon the Tanner, it's a clear indication that already that shift in his thinking of moving toward sharing the gospel with those who are outside of that that proper Jewish traditions. And this is a transition verse leading into our next passage that we'll take a look at next time when Peter is actually called to share the gospel to the Gentiles. This is incredibly significant. And this marks, this one little verse actually marks a shift in in the book of Acts and the ongoing message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the growing of the church and the spreading of the gospel throughout the world. God is at work. Everything that is written is written for a reason and a purpose. And in it, we can have hope. Hope in the one who who sees all and is over all. Hope in the one who died for us that we might live in him. This is a glorious message. This is a wonderful hope. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Your mighty power is displayed in these two events that took place long ago. The healing of a man, the raising to life of a woman, servants of yours, precious children of yours. Thank you, O God, for the testimony of these two lives and we are inspired by these testimonies and we are inspired by the faithfulness of your servant Peter but Lord it needs to be more than just a story we read it needs to be a part of our life so that we too might live in faith that we might too serve you with whatever it is that we can do for you joyfully serving your people joyfully sharing the story of Jesus, joyfully trusting you even when it seems impossible because you have promised and you are greater. And whatever comes to our life, Lord, is for a reason and for a purpose. So I pray that you will increase our faith and fill us with your joy And speak to us yet again that message of hope. And place your word upon our lips so that we can tell others 
of your great love and mercy through Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, if you are finding these messages helpful and encouraging, or if you have a question that you would like to ask, feel free to email me at BibleTimeWithJane at gmail.com. Again, that address is BibleTimeWithJane at gmail.com. And until next time, may the light of the glory of Christ shine in your heart. And may you, he give you the light of the knowledge of his glory displayed in the face of Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.